put your focus on the things that you can control. You want to know what that is? It's all internal states. Everything that you can control is internal. This is why I was saying that you are a spiritual being having a human experience. The human experience, you cannot always control. It is imperfect. It's not always safe. It can be scary. That's just part of the experience. But your internal experience, you have full power over. So that's why you need to regulate your nervous system and create safety for yourself so that you can go anywhere in the world and know that you are safe within yourself. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Conscious Rebel with Talon Barney. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics of all time, which is tending to the flames of your own heart. Today, we're going to get really micro of talking about you and yourself and my goal with this episode, my attempt at what I want to try here is to give you permission to fully step into the path that you are being called on to, but to really begin to prioritize yourself. It's really tricky because we live in a culture where we're raised to be pretty selfless, to be able to sacrifice, to serve others. And depending upon the dynamics in which you were raised in your your household, um, a lot of people grow up with people-pleasing tendencies. You grow up with imposter syndrome. You grow up with the idea that you need to put everyone else first before yourself. But as we're starting to see, this has long-term consequences. Now, at our core, we are wired to serve. Humans are wired to serve. Just as the sun is heat, you know, water is wet, humans are service. It's intrinsically connected. We are here to serve. However, what place are you serving from and why are you serving? I think that it is vital, not I think, it is vital to absolutely know who you are and the uniqueness that you bring to this world so that you can then serve from that place of wholeness and uniqueness. This is what we call the process of individuation. And this is what we're going to go through today. And this is what I mean by tending to the flames of your own heart. We need to call back our own power to ourselves to be able to start this journey of really figuring out who are you at the core, you know, and if you take away everything else, if you take away your job, if you take away your titles, if you take away your relationship, anything that you think makes you who you are, when someone approaches you and says, tell me about yourself, who are you? Typically our response is, well, my name is Talon and I do X, Y, and Z. We've defined ourselves and we've pigeonholed ourselves in these boxes by what we do in the world. But it's interesting because the question that's really being asked and the intention deep below in those layers is actually like, who are you? What is it that you do? What is unique about you that you're here to bring to the world? 
But because we become so distanced from that knowing and we've forgotten who we are, we tend to then mask it with these external preferences or these external layers that we've added on to ourselves to make us feel like we are enough or to make us feel like we are worthy. Because inside each one of us, there is a deep, deep need for belonging, for connection. And I've talked about this in other previous episodes, but it's at the core of really figuring out who are we in this world, what place do we have, and how are we here to serve. Those are the two anchor points. In every person, there are two anchors that really ground you to life, and it's it's those two concepts. I know who I am and I know how I'm here to serve, what, what I'm here to devote my life to, my vocation, because we are here to serve the whole. We're here to serve the collective, but we cannot do that unless we know what we're here to serve, like what place we're meant to serve from. Those are the two anchors. I know who I am and I know how I am here to serve. The process of figuring those out is the process of individuation. And this is what I mean by tending to the flames of your own heart. We have to come all the way back to this very, very core fundamental belief that I would recommend if, if you don't believe in, that you at least try to open your mind to and begin to accept and see how this belief might actually be true. And this very core belief is that we are not humans having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. We're all familiar with the human experience, with the trials, with the obstacles, with going through the day-to-day of living in society, of being able to support yourself, being able to create a community, maybe have a family, pursue goals that you deem as worthy, uh, get a great job so that you can support yourself. All of these are beautiful and they're all necessary. However, that is only one piece of the inner circle. That is the human experience. That's the human journey. But if we are spiritual beings having the human experience, then what is the spiritual being part? If that really is the bigger part that envelops the human experience, then what is that? And who are you at the core as a spiritual being? Not your title, not your role that you play at, at your you know job or within your community and not just what you do, but like who are you at the core as a spiritual being? What is it that's so unique about you? Because I really do believe that every individual here on earth is like a cosmic piece of the puzzle. We're creating one grand cosmic puzzle. And you are a very necessary piece to that in order to complete the wholeness. So that unique piece that you represent, what is that? What does that look like? It's cut differently. It's shaped and formed differently. And in order to actually truly serve the whole, you have to be able to fully show up as yourself and know who you are so that you can then serve the masses. If you think of any respectable people in your life that you would agree that have made a difference in the world, that have made a difference in their community, that have made any sort of impact on any level, you will look at that person and you will find that they have mastered who they are. They know exactly what they are here to bring to the world. And this is the process of individuation. 
it really is about, you know, all at once at the same time, simultaneously becoming differentiated and unique, but also a process of becoming whole and united with others in order to become whole and to to be able to complete the whole puzzle. You have to become unique. You have to become individuated. It's a paradox in order to really serve the masses to kind of zoom out and fit within the bigger picture. You have to go deeper. You have to go into it and start to really niche down into who you are and individuate who you are so that you can offer something very precise and unique to the world. This is individuation. It's it's a lifelong process of wholeness that we are all embarking upon. It's what I'm embarking upon. It's what you're embarking upon, especially if you're listening to this. And individuation is essentially the process of embodying our true potential, our true calling, and our authentic selves. It's the process of the acorn turning into the oak tree. Inside each acorn, there is the blueprint for full actualization. For each acorn has the DNA inside of it. It has the potential to become an oak tree, but it is not yet the oak tree. And that is the process from going from the acorn to the oak tree. That is individuation. It is uniqueness. It is differentiating deep, deep into the core of that little acorn. But at the same time, as it becomes the oak tree and realizes its full potential, it serves everything else around it with its with its fruit that it bears or it's the, the more acorns that it bears, the shade that it bears, the, the spaciousness, the strength of the roots. As it differentiates and becomes more unique, it simultaneously serves everything around it. That is the process of individuation, which is such a... In, an important process of the spiritual journey, but one we don't really talk about a ton. And that's what we're really going to dive into here. Going back to the two anchor points of knowing who you are and knowing how you're here to serve, again, it's a lifelong process. This takes time. And like I said before, just as you are embarking upon this, I am embarking upon this as well. So we are in this together. These are things that I have really looked at at the past few years of figuring out how do we best go about this, you know, and how do we really anchor into that and discover who we are at the core and how do we begin to put ourselves first so that we can serve ourselves in order to then be fit for service to serve others. And it's a really interesting process. Something that I want to touch on as we begin is going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I I went deep into Maslow's hierarchy of needs in, I want to say it was the second season of Conscious Rebel. Might have been the first. Um, I should have looked this up before, but I'll put it in the notes. So you can go back to that if you want kind of a deeper purview of what exactly this is. But I want to go through these steps, and this is really going to piggyback off the last episode we re- where we talked about the six needs of a human being at the core. Maslow, back in the day, he was a psychologist, and he created what was called the hierarchy of needs. And he truly believed that in order to individuate, in order to reach your highest potential, 
there was actually a sequential order of things that you had to go through in order to reach that point. And it's in a pyramid style, the base layer being the most important and the first layer we must start with. And as we go up, there's about eight of these needs. As you go up towards the top of the pyramid, they become, I don't want to say more important. They're all equally as important, but you'll start to see they become more spiritual. They become more ephemeral, but you're not able to unlock the top parts of these needs until you have fulfilled these bottom layers. The top part of this pyramid would be like the oak tree being fully realized, and the bottom part would be the acorn itself. So let's begin with the bottom part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The, the first level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is the physiological needs. These are the base needs that every human being must have before we can progress any further, before you can be happy, before you can truly tend to the flames of your own heart, before you can start to have that power in your life and create that sovereignty, your physiological needs must be met. You must have food to eat. You need to be able to drink water that really invigorates you and keeps your heart beating. You need to be able to have shelter from the storms of life, from the heat. So these are the base physiological needs of having these necessary things that you can first even just survive. And what's interesting is that from a spiritual perspective or point of view, this very much relates to the seven chakras. And this would be your root chakra. You'll find that if you are still in survival mode of really this fight or flight, you're still just trying to make it through this world to try and scrape by. It's really, really, really difficult to feel joy in your life if your root chakra is still unbalanced, meaning your base physiological needs are not fully met because until those are met, you're going to be using all your strength, all your energy to be able to meet those. You're going to be stressed. You're going to be wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to be able to figure this out? Am I going to run out of money? And am I going to run out of this? Am I going to have food to put on the table? These are all physiological needs. And that takes up so much bandwidth within your mind. It takes up so much energy and that's where most stress is coming from, is from this base layer. Once we can provide for those base needs, it's like all of a sudden you turn off the switch on the stress for at least the physical level and you're then able to take that energy that you would have put towards attempting to meet those needs and you start to put this energy towards other things that can help you to grow. There's eight levels to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The first four are what he calls deficiency needs, and the last four are what he calls growth needs. So these first four are really working through the human experience. It's being able to create security for yourself on a human level. But once you've achieved that security, then what? What, what do you do as a human being once you've achieved that? And this is where you get into the quicksand of the fulfillment trap where people are continuously progressing in the external world. They're achieving all the goals they set out to achieve. You know, they, they have these things with a desire to make a life for themselves, which is beautiful. But then they hit those. They hit those goals. They now have enough money or they have enough resources to meet their needs. 
but they just keep pushing forward and making more and more and more, and it's just never enough. And they've met these deficiency needs, but now the growth needs, which are more of the spiritual experience, aren't being completely met. And so it leaves them feeling unfulfilled, and they're wondering how to complete this fulfillment as they're just repeating this treadmill of these deficiency needs. So it's really important that we recognize again, back to the beginning of this core belief, that we are spiritual beings. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. And this, I I think for everyone, this belief comes in the form of an experience. For many people, they just believe this right off the bat. But for me, this wasn't the case. This core belief of I am a spiritual being having a human experience It was something that I really needed to embody through experience. And this is just how I operate personally. Everyone's different, but I learned through trial and error. I need to be able to really embody things, to have a conviction of it, to be able to share it with others, but to really know it for myself. It's not enough for me to just read something in a book. It's not enough for me for someone to just tell me something. I really need to have a visceral experience with it and and really feel it and embody it for me to know it is truth. And so many, many years ago, I was on this path, according to the metrics of this world, I was on the path just destined for greatness of having all these things met that I needed to be met, my physiological needs, all these great things. I had these goals mapped out and I was checking them off quickly one by one. And I was on this path towards really being successful in life. Then, as a lot of you know, if you've listened to this, there was a massive curveball that came into my life that just shook everything up, which was the dark night of the soul for me. And this really made me start to question everything around me. It made me question my belief systems. It made me question the way that we operate in the world. It made me question what is happiness. It made me question at the very core root of it, who am I? Because if I already have all these things, if my base needs are met, I'm safe, I'm good, I have family, I have friends, but now internally it feels like turmoil and it feels like everything is falling apart, then what? Because all of these things that I was achieving that I thought would bring me not not just happiness, but like safety, security, in the snap of a finger, they all fell away. And so I begin to really contemplate and ask myself, well, if these things aren't permanent, if these don't last, and even these aren't guaranteed, then what is guaranteed? Because I don't want to continue to put all my time and my energy and my focus into things that can be taken away overnight. It it was a very unstable foundation I had. And you could even argue that there really wasn't a foundation. Everything that I was achieving was purely external. And individuation is the process of balancing your inner and your outer world. And the inner world was something that was so foreign to me. It was it was so completely unknown to me. I even remember that the concept of empathy was pretty foreign to me. Like I didn't know how to empathize with others because 
I hadn't really been through any darkness. I'd been through, of course, challenges um, and trials and obstacles. I was extremely disciplined. I knew how to work hard. I knew how to achieve, you know, goals. But there was no real darkness in, in that that I had had to face. Up to that point, I had not had to face any demons. I had not had to face a dark night of my soul. So nothing in in me internally, that spiritual part of me was tested up until that point. So when everything got shaken up and my foundation was completely changed, which for most people is through crisis, for me it was crisis, everything fell apart and I had to start rebuilding and questioning everything. And season one of Conscious Rebel was basically actually the process of how I did that. If you want to know how to rebuild your identity and rebuild who you are, that was all season one. That was coming off the back of that dark night of the soul and me trying to piece back together, okay, who am I and what can I now anchor to? And this is why, going back to that core belief, this is such a pivotal belief because it's the very anchor of everything. Who you are as a spiritual being having a a human experience is the anchor that will keep you down when storms are just in full chaos around you. It is the thing that keeps you tethered in the eye of the storm. And it is that process of individuation of knowing who you are as a spiritual being that will begin to bring you more peace, more more joy, more happiness in your life. And it's interesting to see that as I work more and more with people, I work one-on-one with people um, to help give a more holistic view of life and how to integrate and align themselves to who they are. But at the core of it, all I'm doing with people when I work one-on-one with people or working groups is that I'm helping them come back to themselves. That That's all I'm doing. I'm helping them come back to their inner being that they've simply forgotten. And the reason why I'm doing that and why I'm able to do that is because I had to go through the same fucking journey. It was equally the most frustrating thing, yet the biggest blessing in my life. Because as I had to learn to come back to myself, I had no mentors. I had no path that was really carved out for me. I was completely going blind trying to figure this thing out. And on top of that, I wasn't even aware of this spiritual experience. I was trying to do all this in the 3D and just doing my best to keep my head above water because I really felt like I was drowning. And this whole time looking back, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I was really being guided back to myself of answering that first pivotal question, who am I? Not my job, not my title, not what I can do in the world, but who am I at the core? If everything is stripped away, who are you? What are your innate gifts? What are your innate strengths? That is the question of who you are. And that took me a bit to answer that. And once I was able to answer that question of knowing who I am, the second follow-up question then became that second anchor point, which is like, now that I know who I am, how is it that I can best serve the whole? Because of my uniqueness, which no one else has, just like you are unique and no one else is like you, how can I now serve the world with my uniqueness, my unique strengths, what I have had to go through, my different gifts? And keep this in mind, you are not special. The ego can be very tricky. 
as you as you go on this path, the ego can start to convince you that you're destined for great things and that you're special and that X, Y, and Z and da 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 da. Keep this in mind: you are not special, but you are unique. There's a subtle difference. And that should be a good thing for you. That should relieve pressure. Awesome. You're not special. I'm not special either, which means you don't need to do anything special, but you are unique. And the world needs your uniqueness because we are a cosmic puzzle. puzzle. And if we do not have your uniqueness, the puzzle is not complete. So this journey of trying to figure out really who you are at the core is where we begin this. And it begins first with answering these four levels of these deficiency needs because you can't get into the spiritual aspect of answering the question of who you are if these worldly needs are not met first. And that's what Maslow was was leading towards. That's what he was basically hinting at is that we are here to self-actualize. We're here. We are the acorn. We're here to become the oak tree. But the the oak tree cannot be fulfilled and come about unless it's first watered intended to and it has sunlight and it's nurtured and it's put in fertile soil all of those things have to be completed first before it can blossom and grow into its full potential so the base physiological level of meeting your needs of having the food to eat having water having shelter these need to be met and you might say well that's yeah simple check that box But it's not that simple for the world. Many people throughout the world, we're talking millions, not many millions of people don't have these base physiological needs. And so if you already have your physiological needs met, what a massive blessing, what a massive head start you have. Because you can then begin to put that stress and that energy that you that people would worry about of surviving of like, am I going to be able to eat tomorrow? You can take that energy and that worry and put that energy into something more profitable, something that can help you grow more on this spiritual journey. Once the base layer of your physiological needs is met, we then move up to the second layer, which is safety. And this is really interesting because when we get to safety, this is both internal and external safety. If you are in an environment where you are not safe, you cannot fully grow. It's not It's not possible. It would be like planting a plant in the middle of the freeway and there's cars driving and like hitting the plant and it's continually dying and getting run over. It's not in a safe environment. So no matter how unique the plant is or how much the plant is just hungry to grow, it's not gonna happen because it's not in a safe environment. So safety is absolutely critical. But not only external safety, internal safety. When I talk about internal safety, we're now talking about like mental and emotional safety. Do you have people around you that support you, that really raise you up, that make you feel secure in who you are? Or are you surrounded by people, this includes your significant others, that tear you down? Because if you're constantly around people that use their words to verbally tear you down and damage your energy, you are not internally safe. That's just the fact of it. And if you're not internally safe, then you can't internally grow. So safety is really, really important. So once you've achieved your physiological needs, we now need to establish safety. 
Once safety can be created, then you can begin to let your walls down emotionally. You start to become more vulnerable because you know you're not open to attack. You, you know that you really can breathe. You're in a safe environment. And even if you're not in the most safe environment, internal safety will, will always dominate external safety because at some point you're going to have to feel safe within yourself from yourself. Even if others in the world aren't supporting you, at some point you have to begin to create that safety for yourself and to be able to regulate your own nervous system. And this is where we get into the micro of the of the physiological system of the human body. Everybody has a nervous system that runs through them. This controls all the networking within your body. It's like a massive um, network of, of neurons and different nerve endings that are going throughout your whole body. It's the internal communication system. It's how your body co- connects and, and communicates with each other. It's how the organs connect with and communicate with each other. It's how the cells talk. It's how the brain talks. So if your nervous system is actually damaged because you don't feel safe or you went through some blow of trauma and you haven't been able to actually process or regulate that, then your nervous system will literally short circuit. It'll it'll fry. And if your communication fries, think if you have a walkie-talkie and you're talking to someone else and it's just all static, the message can't get through. And if there's not proper communication, then there's not growth. It's just chaos. That's the nervous system. If we don't regulate and learn how to heal our nervous system, then we can't properly communicate throughout the body. Therefore, you won't fully be safe because the body is not actually optimally functioning. And this is really important. There's many things that we can do to regulate our nervous system. And if this is something that resonates with you and you're, that's you know speaking to you right now, I would highly recommend studying this and start to really go into the nervous system and how to fully regulate your nervous system. One of the biggest ways from my personal journey that helped me to begin regulating my nervous system, because if you go through a night, a dark night of the soul, your whole body is basically shut down. You go into self-preservation mode. You've gone through significant amounts of trauma. So your body has shut everything down except for the base primal instincts. You're now surviving. Literally, you're trying to survive for life. But even as you get out of that survival situation, You haven't primed your body or taught your body that it's now safe. So it stays in survival mode year after year after year, just preserving itself. But after staying in survival mode and having all these hormones and cortisol and adrenaline running through your body, it starts to do damage because the body's not designed to be in survival mode 24-7. It's used as a backup safety mechanism so that if you are under threat, if you're under attack, it kicks on and you're able to do what you need to do to get out of the threat, out of the dire situation. But once you're safe, it's meant to turn off. And that's what melatonin does in the pineal gland. Melatonin kicks in to then relax the body, bring it back down, go into kind of a parasympathetic phase, and you can then breathe through and regulate your nervous system because you're calm, you're safe but we haven't taught ourselves to do that. We don't breathe properly. And so you get in this situation that's a threat and it might not even be trauma. It might just be that you go to work and someone says you're a dick 
and that just triggers you. So you're off all day. You take it as a personal attack. You're just constantly thinking about it. You go to bed, but you can't sleep. So you're up all night. So your circadian rhythm is off. You wake up again. You drink a coffee. You're still pissed off, but you haven't expressed that anger. You're literally keeping it inside of you. You're suppressing you. So then someone bumps into you on the street. You lash out at them. They get all freaked out. They yell back at you. That then triggers more anger inside of you, but you're not expressing it fully. You're keeping it in. And this cycle continues. And you're constantly on edge. And we're wondering now why everyone is so sick. Our bodies are in chronic stress. They're in chronic fight or flight. And we have to learn how to self-regulate like a cat. Why do you think a cat purrs? It's the purr is the cat's mechanism for self-soothing. It's self-regulating. And we have to be able to learn how to self-regulate in order to calm and regulate our nervous systems so that we can escape survival mode, create safety for ourselves, let down those walls, let our body properly function and go back into flow and rhythm. And then we begin to feel love. We begin to feel connection. But if we haven't turned that off, it's really difficult to feel that. So going back to my journey, one of the first things that allowed me to do this was cold exposure. I started doing cold showers every single morning back in 2017. I was in Utah at the time. It was in the winter. It was, I believe, November of 2017. Holy shit, it was freezing cold. The water was so cold. And I remember when I got in my first cold shower, I could not stay in for more than like 30 seconds. It was so cold, I couldn't even think. And what was my immediate response when the cold hit my body? Fight or flight, survival mode. It it was initiated again, it kicked in, but because I didn't know how to regulate that and tone it down and breathe through it, my initial response was just to get out, right? Escape it, not deal with it, not move through it, not embrace it, but to just escape it, right? So I just got out of the cold shower. I couldn't handle it. I was like, wow, that was freaking cold. Well, I really committed to this every single morning. So next morning I get in, same thing happens. Next morning, and I repeat this for weeks. And as the weeks went on, as the months went on, I got to the point where I started to realize, okay, I have to learn how to calm myself within the chaos. I have to learn how to, when the cold hits me, I'm freaking out. I want to give out, get out. I need to recognize that that's just, that's an instinct. That's my survival instinct to run, to escape. But I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to react to that. If I become conscious enough, I can become aware that that's happening and I can choose to respond instead of react. And what if my response is actually, I'm not going to get out. I'm going to stay in this cold shower And I'm just going to breathe and I'm going to breathe through this no matter how painful it is. And I started to become more and more conscious of those thoughts. And I started to choose from a place of response and personal free will rather than just quick reaction. And as the months passed and then years, I became more and more well-versed at being able to control my reactions. The cold exposure is a simulation for fight or flight. And what I even noticed is that it started to viscerally and like intimately affect my relationships. If there were arguments that came up in relationships, instead of the immediate reaction, fight or flight, I literally paused. 
I witnessed what was going on and I chose to respond in a more calm way instead of running from the confrontation or being even more confrontational because I wasn't able to handle those emotions. So the cold exposure for me was a massive tool in regulating my nervous system. That would be the first thing. The second thing is breath. In order to regulate your nervous system, it comes down to one thing, your breathing pattern. Most people are breathing shallow. They're breathing from their chest. And when you're breathing from your chest, you're not fully getting down into your diaphragm, which is really where the energy and the prana is coming from. So if you're shallow breathing and on top of that, shallow breathing through your mouth, which Remember, the mouth is to eat with, the nose is to breathe with. The nose has certain nerve endings that help to calm the brain. So we want to be breathing through our nose deep into the belly. And that is proper breathing techniques. And these breathing patterns help to basically regulate the nervous system, bring down emotions. And the breath is like a, it's like a control mechanism for telling the body how to communicate and how to react. The breathing pattern will determine what sort of emotions you feel. There are three interesting emotions that we can look at in a study. We can look at excitement, fear, and anxiety. On on a chemical level within the mind, what's happening is it releases chemicals. Chemically, these three emotions are actually the same. When that juice of the emotion runs through your body from anxiety to fear to excitement, it's actually the same chemical cocktail and cocktail of the hormones in, in different transmitters that are being released. But what, what determines which emotion eventually comes out is the breathing pattern. If you're breathing super shallow, hyperventilating into the chest, it turns into anxiety. That's why people who are anxious start to breathe shallow. Eventually, if this process continues and you can't halt that, it turns into a panic attack, shallow breathing. If there is no breath at all and you hold the breath and you don't breathe at all, that's fear. You freeze. You, you go into straight fear and in a state of terror is where your breath is basically taken away. But if you can have deeper breaths and be able to con- control that breath along with, I should say, a perception of mind, then you're able to turn that into excitement. Three different emotions, same chemical cocktail, all activated by a specific breathing pattern. Breath is extremely important. It is how you're going to regulate your nervous system. It's how you can go longer in cold exposure. It's how you can have a higher pain tolerance. If you are going through a significant amount of pain, watch your breath. The more deeply you breathe, the more you can focus on the breath, the higher bearance of pain you will have. So breath and cold exposure for me were huge in regulating my nervous system. The other third thing I will say before we move on with the nervous system was diet. If you look at diet and nutrition, there are certain foods that will help you to ground more. And that's actually quite simple because nature is very intelligent, just like the human body is extremely intelligent. And in that intelligence is simplicity. Ground vegetables help you to ground. Ground vegetables are like potatoes and sweet potatoes. I kid you not, if you want to regulate your nervous system more, if you're really having trouble, you're having a lot of anxiety, your breathing pattern is out of whack, you're not feeling safe in your environment, 
eat more potatoes. Eat more sweet potatoes and potatoes and different ground vegetables. And they will literally, the density of these will help to ground your nervous system more so that you can think more clearly and be able to enter that breath into your body. Really fascinating. So that is regulating the nervous system and that's all a part of safety. That is your your responsibility as a human being is to be able to create that safety within yourself. Do everything that you can to create external safety. Obviously, if you're in an unsafe environment where it's abusive or your life is on the line, please do everything you can to get help and to get out of that environment. On that same note, as you go out into the world, you're not always going to be in a safe world. The world is not safe. That's just the reality. You have to accept that. So, If you go into a work environment or you're traveling, you're naturally going to be in situations that aren't safe. You can't control that. You absolutely cannot control that. So what I want to help you with and give you permission for is taking your perspective back away from those things and put your focus on the things that you can control. You want to know what that is? It's all internal states. Everything that you can control is internal. This is why I was saying that you are a spiritual being having a human experience. The human experience, you cannot always control. It is imperfect. It's not always safe. It can be scary. That's just part of the experience. But your internal experience, you have full power over. So that's why you need to regulate your nervous system and create safety for yourself so that you can go anywhere in the world and know that you are safe within yourself. No matter what situation I get put into, I will remain calm. I will be perfectly calm. It does not matter how chaotic it is. I will remain calm because I know how to regulate my nervous system and create safety within myself no matter how unsafe the external environment is. Once you can create safety within your life, then what happens is you start to become more vulnerable because you feel safe, right? So your walls go down, you open up more, and by default, that natural opening creates more connection with others. The wall's not there anymore to block you from connecting with others. Imagine that. So when the walls come down, you feel safe, you then are open to belonging and love, which is the third level of the, the hierarchy of needs. This belonging and love is all a byproduct of you creating safety within yourself. Once you have this belonging and love, you're able to connect with others. It starts to soften you more. You start to realize that there is a world outside of yourself and actually that you're doing better than you think and that there are others going through similar things. And that as you begin to connect to others and and create some of that belonging, you start to fulfill some of those deep needs within yourself that were never met before. And belonging and love is obviously everything that every human being wants. But the reason why not every human being feels it is because they don't feel safe within themselves. So create the safety first and the belonging and love will soon follow. The fourth level of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is then esteem is what he calls it. Esteem is about having self-respect and respect from others. Again, you can't always control the respect from others. So it starts with self-respect. How do we create self-respect, folks? How do we really get to a point to where we respect ourselves, to where we love ourselves, to where we are confident? The definition of self-worth and self-respect is the willingness to do hard things. The reason you don't respect yourself is because you're breaking promises with yourself. 
If you say that you're going to do something and you don't do it, you just broke a promise with yourself. Your subconscious records that. Every cell in your body records that. And when an opportunity or experience comes around to where you have to step up to the plate, you're going to be shaking in your boots. You're not as confident because you haven't held commitments with yourself in the past. You haven't actually showed up in the past. So in order to create self-respect, we have to do what we say we're going to do and we have to do hard things like the cold shower. I know the cold shower is not fun. I know that the cold shower is difficult, but do you want to respect yourself? If you do, then do hard things. Put yourself in the cold shower, breathe through it and go for three minutes and do whatever you can. You want self-respect? Follow a nutritious diet. Doesn't have to be anything crazy. Maybe it's cutting out energy drinks. See if you can do that and, and stick to it. Make a commitment to yourself. Make a goal and follow through with that. And the more that you follow through with the promises that you make yourself with yourself, the more your self-respect will build, which is really key because once you are able to establish self-respect, you then are able to establish confidence. This confidence is the esteem that Maslow was talking about. In order to truly move up this pyramid to go from the acorn to the oak tree, you have to create this confidence. Confidence isn't given. Confidence is earned. It's built. You, you don't see an oak tree that's not confident. It, it knows who she is. She, she knows that she is great. She knows that she is strong. She knows that her roots go deep. She knows that she can withstand the storms. Why? Because she has such a, a deep confidence from the years and years and years and years and years of growth and commitment to herself of moving from that acorn to the oak tree, no matter what it took. So self-respect and esteem is huge. It's a necessary part of this process of individuation. And remember, this individuation process of becoming more unique to yourself is how you're going to serve others. Everyone naturally wants to serve. If you ask people what you want to do, what they want to do in life, a lot of people will say, I don't know what I want to do, but I want to serve. I just don't know where to start. You start with yourself. That's what you do. You start serving yourself and you start figuring out how to individuate and how to go through this process of becoming who you are, of setting yourself up for challenges that are going to be uncomfortable, but you are forced to show up and actually meet more of yourself. And in these circumstances, more of who you are is revealed. This is the big misnomer. You're not becoming anybody, right? You're not, again, back to the acorn and oak tree analogy. The acorn isn't becoming the oak tree. It's already the oak tree. Every part of the oak tree, the DNA, everything is already within the acorn. It is the oak tree. It's not becoming the oak tree. But what happens is over time as it's tested and challenged, it, it starts to remember who it is and circumstances start to reveal the dormant power within that acorn that's then unlocked and unleashed so different parts of itself can be unblocked and then grow. You're not becoming anything. You're remembering who you are. You're, you're letting yourself be unblocked 
you're you're removing anything that's blinding you from actually seeing who you are and your full potential. But that's going to require you to step into opportunities and experiences in life that will force that hand. When you step into uncomfortable experiences, it tests you. It tests you at your core. Think about something really, really difficult that you've done. Is you're able to complete that? This is why people do marathons. If you ever think people are crazy doing marathons, it's exactly why they do it. Because at some point during the marathon, they have to dig really, really deep, right? And they unlock this part of themselves and they say, I, I didn't think I could do that, but I did it. And they have this new renowned um, self-respect and self-confidence that they didn't have before. But think about this. What's interesting is that that part that they tapped into that was deep within them was always there. It's, it wasn't a new part that got put inside of them. It was always there. They just had to tap into it and unveil it. So circumstances don't make you who you are. They reveal who you are. So testing yourself throughout life is what's going to create this esteem and this confidence to be able to bring you to this next level. After esteem, we now finish off the deficiency needs, one through four, physiological, safety, belonging, and love, and esteem. Those are the deficiency needs. That's the human experience. These are things that everybody needs to check off in order to really live a good life in this human experience. But as we continue on to the next four, we're now stepping into the growth needs. And again, these are in sequence. Once you've established these deficiency needs, you're more stable. You're more confident in who you are. You're starting to regulate your nervous system more. You're starting to feel more calm. You're starting to feel like you know more your place in the world. And now it is actually time to grow into the spiritual, to actually tap into the part, the other second half, which is the spiritual being, having the human experience. So that's what's interesting is that we first have to establish our human experience before we can access the spiritual and really start to integrate the two into one, which is that process of individuation. When you in, when you individuate, you awaken. That's what the awakening process is, is you're tapping more and more and more into who you are and your power. So when you individuate, you awaken. But after that awakening, you have to now integrate that. You have to integrate these new things that you've learned back into your body, into this life. So when you integrate, you then embody. And the goal for all of us is to be embodied, to be so connected with our spiritual self and our higher self that they become one here on earth and that you are now operating from a conscious point of view. You're not reacting to anything. You're responding to everything. You're a witness to your thoughts. You're a witness to your emotions. And you're consciously choosing things from the seat of your higher self. You're now the conscious observer. And that's what it means to be fully embodied. And then from that place, you start to realize that, oh, this is a big game that we're just playing. And I truly am a spiritual being playing this human experience. So the fifth level that Maslow deemed once we get into the first of the growth needs was cognitive. Cognitive is about meaning. It's about information. It's about comprehension. As you begin to feel better about yourself, have more respect, you know, feel more safe within the world, there's then this drive of, of wanting to know more about your existence, of wanting to have a meaning of why you're actually here. This is what begins that spiritual journey of being able to comprehend and understand what is really going on beneath these layers 
And I would say also that mastery is part of this um, within the cognitive of you're really trying to master certain parts of yourself as you individuate more and curiosity is huge within the cognitive level. You begin to become more deeply curious about life. And I remember when this was triggered for me because I began to become more curious of what was really beyond what I was being fed um, in the constraints of society. I was told that you have to, you know, go to college and you have to do all these things. Well, as I got further into college, I hated it. Like I, I loved the, the experience of it. I loved being with people. I was taking great classes. I was a great student. I was actually going to go to med school. I was at BYU studying, but there was a deeper part of me that was so curious and I begin to question everything and I begin to realize that these classes that I'm taking, I literally don't give a shit. So if I don't, why am I still taking them? Because that would mean that I'm really kind of selling my soul. If deep down, I really don't want to be doing this, but I'm doing it, I'm breaking a promise with myself. I'm not truly being honest to who I am. I'm not being integral. Therefore, my confidence is waning away because I'm not actually doing what my soul really wants to be doing. So then I had to take that leap of faith, which is the esteem, the challenge, right? Of really stepping into the unknown to reveal more parts of yourself. And for me, that was to drop out. I literally went to all of pre-med at BYU. I finished everything, finished all the credits, and then I dropped out because it just wasn't me. And people thought I was crazy for doing it. And looking back, it was the best choice I ever made because I was true to who I was. And that all was sparked from my curiosity of thinking, I think there's something bigger going on here. I don't think this is just about this human experience and me checking the boxes of living a successful life. There is something deeper that's calling me. It, it's like my soul. It's the, it's I don't know how to explain it, but something is calling me here. And I was so fresh to all of this, but making that choice dove me deep into these different levels. So curiosity is a big part of it. After cognitive, once you're really able to tap into that, you ascend higher into the pyramid. And after the level of cognitive, you get into aesthetic. This is probably my favorite one and the most unknown one. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you will typically only see, I think it's about six levels. But what people don't know is that Maslow actually came back years later and he basically reformatted that and added in a couple more. And one of them was aesthetic. And what he said is that naturally as you go along this curve, you you have your base needs met, right? You start to feel more safe. From that safety, you create more belonging and love. With the belonging and love, you start to love yourself more. You have more esteem. You do hard things. So that grows your confidence. With that confidence, you then curiosity blossoms. You go deeper. You start to challenge the constructs of society and create more meaning in life. And then you get to the aesthetic. And he defined this as literally beautifies one one's life. And as you start to beautify your life, you start to improve everything around you. So you start to improve your existence. You start to improve your physical vessel. You start to take care of more yourself more because beauty is an important part of this spiritual process. It's about having more intimacy with nature. And he described as, as you get to this aesthetic level, 
you become more intimate with the things around you because you start to appreciate things more. You start to love things more and you're so deeply curious that you start to see things that people don't see. So beauty becomes really important and you begin to have a certain pride for yourself and beautify your life. And I love this one because it aligns directly with the Incan philosophy. When I was in my ayahuasca ceremony, they taught me that every human being in this human experience has two missions. The first mission is to fully take care of yourself and your surroundings, to literally take care of your mind, take care of your body, get in the best possible shape you can, whatever that means for you, and to be healthy, to take care of your house, to make sure it's clean, to make sure it's growing, to to really be stewards of the earth. That is every being's first mission, and it's the aesthetic. It's that when we actually start to really fully realize ourselves, Beauty becomes important because it's a way of how we carry ourselves. And we, when we truly love something, we take good care of it. We, we want it to last forever. We want it to be sustainable. So beauty is an important part of that. And that is why all trees that blossom and, and flowers that grow, there's no such thing as an ugly flower. Beauty is hardwired into it. And as we go through these levels, eventually this this dormant level of aesthetic is unlocked and we begin to care about really beautifying ourselves and not from an ego perspective, not from a fake attraction in the world because not everything that is not everything that glitters is gold but it's coming from a deep deep part of ourselves of wanting to bring more of our potential out of ourselves that is aesthetic we then move on to the seventh level which is self actualization with a capital s self not self-actualization of making yourself the best so that others can see you, so that you can be the best at what you do. That's not what we're talking about here. Capital S, self-realization, the higher self, your soul self of like tuning in and realizing, okay, as as I continue to embark upon this journey, what am I really here to do? Like, am I really meant to be doing what I'm doing right now? I had to go through this as I was debating dropping out of college. Like, (laughs) did I really come here to just go through the system to like just appease to people of what I need to do to go to medical school so that I can become a doctor, you know, make sure that I have security and I'm financially set, um, even though I can't choose my hours and I can't do this and I can't do that. Like at, at some point you have to begin to question who is the real self? What do I really want to do? And what is my higher self here for? Like, who am I? Again, that core anger of what am I here to do? And that's what you're figuring out and remembering along this journey. But it's not enough just to figure that out. To What people don't realize is that to figure out self-actualization, to remember who you are, it's done through the doing. Like a violinist doesn't become good by thinking about it. A violinist becomes good by playing the violin, even though when they begin, they suck at violin. But by playing, they become better. By experiencing, by taking the leap off the edge, by pulling the trigger on big risks and really betting on yourself, this is how you self-actualize. This is how you start to figure out what does my higher self really want and what is it here for? That is a really important part of it. And there's the ultimate um, 
uh, tagline that comes with this level of self-actualization that Maslow talks about. And that is the idea that what man can be, he must be. What man can be, he must be. This is about the realization of your absolute full potential. And this is a journey that goes deep and deep and deep. This is the real explicit motive. This is the goal of these hierarchy of needs is to be able to go into what you're really here to be, not necessarily to do, but to be what man can be. He must be. It is about a sheer commitment to achieving your utmost full potential in this life. The acorn is determined to become that oak tree at any cost. It knows that that blueprint and that potential is ingrained within it. It is a part of it and it will stop at nothing until it has realized its full potential. And once it has, then it reaches this eighth level, which is transcendence as Maslow calls it. And transcendence is spiritual. It's about giving oneself to something beyond oneself, to something greater. It's about this holistic consciousness of bringing everything together. And now that you know who you are, now that you know what you stand as, of what you have to offer to the world, now that you've created safety within yourself, you've done the internal work, you've mastered yourself, you're confident, and this is a continuous journey, but you've really done work on these different things, and you're beautifying your life, your body, your surroundings, you're accountable, you're a steward of your life, you're curious, and you're going deeper and deeper and deeper, a switch flips, something clicks, and then all of a sudden you realize that this whole process that you just went through was to be able to then give all this to the world. You individuated, you became unique and different in order to then turn back and give that to the world and to fit into that cosmic puzzle. This is transcendence about giving oneself to something beyond oneself, committing to a greater cause of true service, of really offering whatever you can to the world. This is the process of individuation, and it's such an exciting process. It's such a challenging process, but the challenge is fun. The challenge is exciting because you're learning more about who you are. And in this process of learning who you are, you get to be surprised by the universe of the different ways that you can discover yourself. Like individuation is such a necessary process and I think it's such a fun process. That's why I love working with people because I get to sit down and be able to give some clarity on how to guide people through this process and how to guide people back to themselves of who they've always been. The, the, that potential is within you. You don't have to become, it's already in you. It's not something you have to go find out there. You're not finding yourself. You're just tapping into deeper parts of you and removing anything that's blocking you from seeing how powerful you actually are. And when you become, when you start to become more and more and more aligned with your higher self, that, that self-realization, it is so fucking exciting because you love what you do because it's natural to you. Your higher self loves it. You're just in flow state. You're operating from your most optimal position. You're not waking up hating what you're doing and you feel good because you're beautifying your body. You're healthy. You feel good. Your surroundings because you're going through this whole journey and it is a journey, folks. I am on this journey with you. We're all on it. Every human being 
is on it. Everyone may be at different points in this journey or at different levels, but no one no one is above anybody else or below anyone else. We are all equal in our spiritual nature, but just at different points of the journey. Some are very old souls and some are young souls, and that's all great. That's okay because it's meant to be like that. It's part of the process, and that's why we're helping each other along through this. So I want to end with giving six reasons why individuation is crucial for our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Number one, becoming aware of our social personas and how they're not the true self. You start to realize, again, back to my college example, that socially what we're asked to do isn't actually necessarily your spiritual self. Remember, you're a spiritual being having a human experience. So at some point, you wake up to that human experience and you get to question it. You get to really question and critique it and be like, is this actually who I am? And you'll start to realize that not all your social personas are actually who you are. And that's a good thing. Number two, you'll become aware of how our sub-personalities operate and that healing and embracing them from the holistic perspective of the self is what's going to make you healthy. You start to realize that this is about integration. It's about bringing all these parts of ourselves back together to the whole to fully remember who you are. Through this process of individuation, number three, we become aware of our core wounds. You you have to. It's, it's necessary. You have to face your demons along this and of your shadow selves that prevents you from experiencing the wholeness of who you are. That's all these things are are doing there. They're just preventing you and blocking you from seeing your actual true power. So in order to access that, we have to move through our shadows and our demons and fully embrace them. Number four, we awaken to our state of disconnection from our soul. And it allows us to embark on a spiritual journey in order to discover our place in the world. And this allows us to embody our purpose or vocation. Vocation is a calling. It's a true calling in the world. And it helps you to come back to that piece that you are of that cosmic puzzle. So as you begin to awaken more and more to how disconnected we actually are from our spiritual self or higher self, then we can begin to close that gap and we can begin to then discover why we're actually here and know our vocation on the world because we're, we're, we're closing that gap literally and we're merging, we're becoming one with the higher self. Number five, you start to cultivate a conscious relationship to you know your spiritual self And in doing so, by default, you start to cultivate a more intimate relationship with life because you're connected to everything and you're connected to the oneness of all things in the universe as a whole. So life becomes lighter. It's not as serious because you realize that this really is a game. It's about the spiritual experience, not the human one. The human experience is what you're going through. It's it's what you're experiencing but we want to be operating that experience from the spiritual self. But if you're not, if you're not aware of that and you're operating from the human self, then you're identifying with everything that happens to you and life is suffering. It's all suffering because everything that happens is bad and you're trying to control life and you're trying to do this and you're not enough. And it's all just fucked because 
you think that you are the experience. You think that you are your emotions. You think you are what's happening to you. If your business fails, you are a failure. That's what happens when you're self-identified with the human experience. But when you detach from that and you you sit in the seat of your higher self and you start to operate from a more spiritual perspective, then you become one with everything and you start to lighten up and you're not as stressed and you realize that everything is perfect as it is, both the good and bad because there is no good and bad, just it is. And number six, finally, you begin to cultivate a conscious relationship with your soul and discover your unique and ultimate place in the world. And this allows you to serve the world most effectively from your highest and utmost self. This is when the acorn becomes the oak tree. When you fully have cultivated that relationship and you know who you are, you've been through the storms, you know your uniqueness. There's several other oak trees, but they're not you. You're not special, but you're unique. And you are here to discover that uniqueness. You're here to discover who you are, what is it that's unique about you. And to do that, you have to delve into the underworld. You have to go into the shadows. You have to face your demons in order to come out, conquer those, create the confidence you need to then beautify your life, step into who you actually are, be what you fully can be, maximize that potential so that you can start to give yourself to something that is beyond yourself, something that is greater. And in that process, everything starts to come together more, integrate, and then the one becomes two. And the two starts to grow and expand and we all become whole again and we all become one, all from this unique process of individuation. Wow, okay, that's a wrap. So hopefully that was beneficial for you. Hopefully we went deep enough into that process of individuation. Please guys, if you have questions, please DM me. I'm getting all sorts of DMs and um, messages from people and I freaking love it because it, it shows me that people are really embarking upon this journey. Like I said, I am not sitting on like some throne of like perfection having done all this. I am on the journey with you. I am every single day throwing myself into the abyss, figuring this out day by day. I'm right, I'm right there with you. So if you have any questions, if you have any struggles, if you want me to go deeper into things, if you want to meet up, please j- just send me a message. I'm totally open. That's what this podcast is for. And if you can go on Spotify, Apple, rate and review this, it would be beneficial so that I can share it more with others. And if this episode has been helpful for with you, you know, text it to other people, share it with them because we're all on this journey together. We're all doing it together. We're one soul family and I am committed to this path of doing whatever I can do in my power to help you guide you back to your true self. Love you guys. Peace.